You are listening to Conversations with Akila. Please be aware you are getting ready to listen to an episode that is intended for a mature audience only. There may be some topics that offend those who are not ready to hear it or who may be or may have been triggered in the past by certain topics. Please keep in mind, I am not here to offend or disrespect or upset any entity as my views and my opinions are my own. I will remain respectful as you can do the same. Thank you. Hello, hello, hello there. Welcome back to Conversations with Akila, where you know I have a lot to say. Okay. Um, yeah, it's been a while, but so what? I'm back. <laughs> I'm back now, back in action. I believe my last podcast was like a few months ago. Um, there's just been a lot going on since then. Um, but I'm ready now to get back on the good foot as usual. I think I go through these ebbs and flows and I'm not going to judge myself for it. But if there are goals that I want to reach, then there are going to have to be things that I do. Okay. So, um, if you're listening, thank you for joining me. If this is your first time, welcome. If this is your second or fourth, fifth, whatever time, welcome back. You know, it's lit over here, regardless of how long and how often I do it, it is lit. So I'm going to jump right back into where I left off. This book, Salvation. First of all, is okay, it's called Salvation by Bell Hooks. As you know, if you haven't listened to the episode before this particular one, please listen to it as it will give you the introduction of everything pertaining to this book. If you don't know about bell hooks, go learn about bell hooks, please. Don't be like me and wait too long. Go learn about bell hooks. Go get your life with her. Um, So I, a while ago, you may have heard me talk about this. So I, a while ago, tried to read all about love. So this salvation book is the second book in the love trilogy by bell hooks. And I tried to read all about love, which is the first book. And I kid you not, I could not get through it. It was just a little bit too on the nose for me. Like it just, it, 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 it left me too speechless. It, it just, it just hit the right nerves. If, if that's the way to put it, I don't know. Um, so it was really difficult to get through that book. I still have not gone through that book. So yeah, I'm sure you're asking Akila, how are you in the second book? of the trilogy if you have not completed the first book i in my very singular um level of thinking thought okay maybe the the first book was just a little bit too deep for me maybe she you know kind of turned down the nozzle you know turned down the gas on the fire for the second book ha <laughs> ha <laughs> no she did not <laughs> this book salvation black people and love y'all this book i am going to discuss chapters four and five in this episode and let me tell you something if 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 i could have highlighted every word in chapter four and five i would have because it was just that it hit me everywhere it hit me it hit me in my own way of thinking 
it hit me as someone who grew up in a black church who was still very much a part of a black church it hit me as a black woman it hit me as a a black woman who grew up in a predominantly urban okay so let me say this i grew up in a predominantly urban situation i went to a historically black college for my first two years of um college and then i ended up transitioning to a pwi is what they call them now predominantly white institute <laughs> montclair state university for my um last years of college because i moved home and the dichotomy between those two things was just insane okay this book touches on all of that and i'm only talking about chapters four and five i i'm not ready to discuss the other ones yet but in chapters four and five it was really really deep excuse me as i yell at my dog and i know i'm gonna probably get dings for this but you know we keep it real around here and i do not know how to edit um audio so y'all just gonna have to deal with it jomo jomo Anyway, I apologize. <laughs> Listen, it is what it is here. Oh, no. The last time we spoke, I had a dog. So, okay, guys, you guys do know about Jomo, my little French bulldog. He's sweet, but golly. Whew. All right, so let's jump into it. Chapter four. It is called Valuing Ourselves Rightly. So I'm only going to read the first passage. I did not highlight it because I just wanna read the first part so you can get the gist of where she's going. I like to typically read the first um, passage of a chapter um, for the podcast and the last passage of the chapter so you can get a good context of why I highlighted what I highlighted. So it goes on to say, no one speaks about the topic of black people in love without addressing issues of low self-esteem and self-hatred. It is now by now it is it is it is by now common knowledge, excuse my tongue twister, that the trauma of white supremacy and ongoing racist assault leaves deep psychic wounds. Whether the issue is a painful color caste system in black life or violent actions used by whites against blacks, um degrading speech physical aggression or dehumanizing representation every day all black people encounter as does everyone else some expression of hatred towards blackness whether we recognize it or not prone to recognize overt expressions of hating blackness everyone tends to ignore constant covert expressions a remark made by a seemingly friendly person a stereotypical racist representation in a magazine or on a, or on a billboard or the myriad times in any given day when a white person takes public transportation and stands rather than sit next to a black person but sits if a seat is open next to someone white in predominantly black environments someone may be casually using the the word N-I-G-G-R, or jokingly talking about black folks as lazy and not wanting to work. All these incidents are expressions of white supremacist thinking and action in daily life and the hatred of blackness that it condones and perpetuates. 
White supremacy is a much more useful term than racism because it allows us both to hold non-black folks accountable for acts of covert and overt racial aggression and to look at and challenge the ways black people internalize white supremacist thought and action. Mm, 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 mm. This is all very, very, very on the nose and true. And when it comes to the topic of this chapter, valuing ourselves rightly, this is the some of the bedrock, just some of it as to why we don't. It's about what we're being told on a regular basis. It is about what we're being shown on a regular basis. It's about the stereotypes that are being reinforced about black people on a regular basis. Why it's possible those of the black race of the diaspora do not value and view themselves in a more positive light. White supremacist practices of breeding through rape of black women by white masters produce mixed race offspring whose skin color and facial features were often radically different from the black norm. While white races had never deemed black people beautiful before, they had a higher aesthetic regard for the racially mixed black folks. When that regard took the form of granting privileges and rewards on the basis of skin color, black people began to internalize similar aesthetic values. This is very true. To understand the color case system and its impact on black life, we have to acknowledge the link between patriarchal abuse of black women's bodies and the overvaluation of fair skin this is real like the paper bag system was used like this is not a joke i don't know if you've ever watched any um i don't know if you've ever watched any what is it called like historical shows one show that i'm i'm remembering in particular was um it was about bessie Oh my God, Bessie Smith, Queen Latifah was in it and the brown paper bag test was used. So when the women would be auditioning when Bessie Smith wasn't a known person, if they were lighter than the paper bag, then the producers, the songwriters, whomever would take them on. But in instances where um, they were darker, they would be passed up. So when Bessie Smith became a um, well-known artist who was now putting together her own show, she also did the paper bag test, but on the flip side, she decided to, um, if you were lighter than the paper bag, you didn't get picked. <laughs> that was her way of getting revenge. Um, where did I leave off y'all? Combining racist and sexist attitudes, individual white men showed favor towards a lighter skinned breed of black folks that came into being as a result of their sexual assault of black women's bodies. Mm -mm -mm. While white men used the bodies of darker skinned black women as vessels to act out violent sexual lust without developing emotional bonds and ties, their biological ties to mixed race black people led to the development of different and diverse sentiments. This is, this is, wow, this is a fact. This is a, this is a major fact. Really like, really true. The first highlighted part of this book, of this chapter actually, not of the book, <laughs> but of this chapter is what really hit home um, in a big way for me. I was like, okay, I can see where she's going with this. <laughs> 
It says on page 59, teaching black folks to hate dark skin was one way to ensure that whether white oppressors were present or not, the values of white supremacy would still rule the day. Mm, mm, mm. This is very true. And granted, I know she's talking about a time, I mean, she's referencing slavery here a lot and she goes on to reference um, the mid 19th century, the mid 19th, yeah, the mid um, 20th century. So um, where she's talking about the 60s and the 70s where the Black is Beautiful movement came in, like those were ways of trying to combat um, this ideal that Black was not beautiful, that Black was a bad thing and, you know, Black was a dirty thing and Black was not something that you should be being proud of. So she goes on to reference how in what ways black leaders try to combat the idea um what white supremacy and, and before that racism had installed but even with the rhetoric it was it's the ideology of it is still black is not a beautiful thing hell i know people who get offended by when you say black girl magic or whatever like why i gotta be black girl magic why can't it be you know just women magic or or girl magic, and don't get me started on the feminist movement. I ain't saying I'm for it, I ain't saying I'm against it, but if you were to learn about when the feminist movement was started, I'm talking about back when suffrage was coming along. Some of these people that are being repped and you know talked about and everything did not have empowerment for black women as the forethought of, of, of the time, if you catch my drift. When it was like, oh, women should have the vote, it was prim primarily white women should have the vote it wasn't that black women should have the vote apparently there were some head suffragists at the time who were literally ticked off that black men got the right to vote before white women i think that's just a little tidbit you should know about anyway on the on the second highlighted part of this chapter it reads, however, just as enslaved and newly freed black male leaders showed distinct preferences for fair skin, the leaders of our militant revolution did the same. They preached love of blackness even as they continued to grow preferential treatment to those females who were lighter, in some cases white. This is an interesting thing, and I may have talked about this in another episode about Malcolm X. In the, in the 60s, Malcolm X's decision to marry a dark-skinned sister, one chosen for him by his mentor, the leader, Elijah Muhammad, was meant to set an example to other black men. This is very true. Um, you know, we all, you know, we see it, we've heard about it. Like, I'm not talking about nothing that we don't know. I'm just reinforcing and opening up the conversation that, oh, when a black man becomes successful, they don't want a black woman, you know, when they... We see it with basketball players, we see it with football players. And in some instances, some people do believe this, that this is true. Um, I low key sometimes believe it is true too. I do think there is an ideology that being with a white woman, particularly a particularly a white woman says that, oh, I've made it. Oh, I'm successful. You know, oh, I've reached the pinnacle. And I don't know if that's true for every instance. I'm sure if I was to come across a black man who was married to a white woman right now or dating a white woman, he would probably be ready to punch me in my face for saying something like that. But based off of what we've seen and even some of the things that we hear, being with a black woman is not, especially a dark-skinned black woman, is not always necessary. the idea of a ideal, successful, rich couple. In the limelight, I'm not talking about in regular 
because I know a lot of successful, well-to-do black men who are with black women, okay? Like, I, I know that to be true, but the overall ideology of it out there, that's where I mean for that. It's something interesting to think about. I, I really want to know what you guys have to say about that, if anyone listens, <laughs> if anyone watches or listens this. I really want to know... Um, what y'all think oh god she referenced school day let me tell you something bell hooks had it out for spike lee don't let nobody fool you don't let nobody don't let nobody play with you like if i had the chance to sit down and interview bell hooks for my podcast i didn't like sis what was it about spike lee you just didn't like <laughs> you did not like spike lee like i'm about to read this part to y'all black filmmaker spike lee brought national attention to the problem of skin color cased with his movie School Days, but the movie, the movie simply re- reproduced <laughs> the skin color hierarchy. It did not challenge it. Yo, she can't stand him, okay? Or offer a new vision. More often than not, black-controlled mass media have been invested in the color case system as the dominant white culture. Mm, mm, mm. No matter the color of a filmmaker's skin. In movies and videos today, dark-skinned black women are not likely to be cast in any role except that of the demonic, quote-unquote, excuse my language, black bitch. Yikes. Next highlighted <laughs> section. In the predominantly white high school, one of my most attentive, caring white teachers told me repeatedly, this is Bell Hooks talking about her experience, that I would never have a black male partner because I was smart. There were no black males in the gifted classes in these schools. Their absence was not because they were smart, it was indicative of the desire of white racists to keep black males away from contact with white females. Often black children were told at home that they needed to uplift the race by studying hard and proving their worth. Not wanting to want not wanting to worry and upset parents, black children of all classes usually did not share the various racist assaults they encountered in schools. Racial integration soon became a space where heightened levels of racial humili- humiliation and shaming took place. Shame makes self-acceptance and self-love impossible i I mean i think that's gonna be the title of this episode (laughs) that is just that needs to be on a billboard that needs to be on a shirt like i really wish i came into myself and with this whole podcasting thing and all of that while bell hooks was alive because i don't know if she ever spoke to me but i ain't gonna front i'd have tried okay harman zora neil hurston like those two if i could have a round table with them i'd have been like what's up like what what how where what like what do you guys drink what do you guys eat what are you guys dreaming about at night because the words the words the words the prose is just in uh everything but this is this is very this is very true um 
not everyone believed, especially back in that time when racial integration was happening, that it should happen on both ends of the color system. There were whites, of course, who did not want it to happen. However, there were blacks, people of the diaspora who did not feel like it should happen. They felt like, okay, our people are going to get absorbed into the culture, the predominant culture of the time. This is a fact. A lot of people did not, I don't want to say a lot, coffee table talk because openly, you know, equality for all. But in some of the history books that I've read, not the ones we had in school, and some of the documentaries that I've um, watched or what have you entertained, every black person at the coffee table was not happy about integration in the schools. They felt like, no, black kids should be around black kids learning from black teachers and leave those white kids where they at. They already mean to us here. They already mean to us there. Now we're gonna go send our children off for them to go be mean to them there. I mean, saying that now and thinking about, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. how do you guys feel about that? Do you guys think, do you guys think that is true? Should we have stayed separate but equal? Mm. Now that's a conversation to have, okay? Now that is a conversation to have. Um, even with the whole school thing, I'm not gonna front. So I, you talking about, you hear me talk about the leaving an urban, live, living, going to a historically black college, growing up in an urban area, then transferring over to a PWI to continue and finish out my undergrad degree. I am now thinking about how I've made the transition from living in a predominantly urban area to a predominantly Caucasian area, like, I'm the only black person that lives on my block right now. Along with that, my children, when we transferred here became, when we first transferred here became the only black kids in their class. So my daughter was the only black little girl in her class. And my son was the only black boy in his class. And I am being so honest. I did not think it would invoke the level of anxiety that it invoked in me but it did in a big way every decision that we make concerning his education are there his her especially his because he's a he's a black boy and it's unfortunate but i am constantly thinking about how these teachers view my black child it is a non-stop thought of mine i have white people that love me white people that care for me check on me i'm not saying all white people are like this but when we are talking about systemic racism systemic not the overt but the covert racism like when my child does something and i get a phone call from the school and he may even be guilty of it most of the time he is because he's a little boy i automatically have to wonder are they picking on my child because he's black I have to wonder that. And it's not because of anything they've done. It's not like I've seen or even had him tell me, he tell, he would tell me, but it's not like I've even had him tell me, you know what, mommy, I feel as if they're being nasty towards me because I'm black or nobody wants to play with me because I'm black or the teachers or the lunch monitors or whomever is picking on me, never. I have never had, knock on wood, I have never had a report like that, but it is a thought. I would be lying if I said anything different. It is a thought, like it terrifies me. Um, not seeing a black police officer anywhere here, 
is a concern. I mean, I've already had a negative interaction with one of these cops here. I already told y'all about that. Go listen to that. Okay. And I let him know how I felt about him in that moment too. I wasn't scared and I ain't scared now. Every time I see him, I'll be like, try me not. God bless you. Anyway, but it is concerning to not see a black police officer on this on this predominantly white police force in this predominantly white area and i have a tall beautiful handsome black husband and i have a black child that is going to grow into a black man and it scares me based off of just what people have put out there about our black skin um about our melanated skin about what black men and you know what they represent i've i discussed it when i was reading um the previous book um the black church uh it's difficult it's difficult to have peace where that is concerned and knock on wood nothing has even happened <laughs> and, and i still have to because of the environment that i grew up in and around i have to wonder are they gonna ever hurt my child and i hate that i know white mothers are not sending their, their little white children to school wondering oh is my child gonna be discriminated against is my child you know gonna be picked on by a police officer is my child gonna be you know hurt by anyone today simply because he's white and there are many out there who do not understand that concept of white privilege. White privilege goes beyond being financially fit. White privilege goes beyond having a nice house. White privilege goes beyond even being a beautiful individual. White privilege is basically simply put as because you are white, I think this of you. Yes, two of us could be in their shoplifting, but they're going to probably assume that the black woman is shoplifting and not the white woman. These are proven things. These are things that we know has happened. Now, I'm not saying that they're, listen, I, I have to reinforce this just in case any of my white homies listen to this. That I have allies. Okay. I don't have allies just in words, like what they was doing for the blackout back in 2020. I have real life allies in my life. Those who have held the door open for me. And I'm not just talking about physically either in other ways, those who look out for me, those who are probably punch somebody in their face with something saying something negative about a black person um so this is not about those people but it's about the systemic white supremacy that happens the overtness of it um right now current time the wga the writers guild act strike is happening and i've been of course reading up on it because you know i am terrified that some of my shows are not going to be renewed like girlfriends wasn't renewed back in 2008 when that writer strike happened you know it was canceled but some of the rhetoric that is going around because you know you gotta you gotta read between the lines about what is happening you have a lot of black and queer and um marginalized writers talking about again yeah, now that we are the ones writing for the shows and now that we are the ones who are ahead in the shows all of a sudden the budgets are getting cut all of a sudden we can't get raises it's everything is not a black and white thing everything is not a discrimination thing but if people don't think that those ideologies are not still in control today you got another thing coming i love sharon mac mahone mac mcone i think that's her name um her podcast is named here is where it gets interesting if you guys do not know about her, please go, please go listen, subscribe. You will not be disappointed. In series, in season eight this year, she did a um, a um, series on the KKK. 
and how they came in to be, you know, for Jim Crow and after slavery, blah, blah, blah. Because you guys know that, you know, they originally after slavery, the, the Ku Klux Klan did try things, but they were they were shut down by Congress. That's another story. But back in the 1920s, they reared their heads again, their heads again, and it went off. And there's a whole, she breaks down as to why that happens. And back then, when the KKK was in power the way they were, it was, I think the statistic was like, in like one out of every three or two out of every three white men were a part of the KKK. Like it was insane. They were the church leaders. They were the police officers. They were the doctors. They were the ones at the grocery stores running the grocery. They were everywhere in everything, in the movie industry, in the um, sports industry. They were everywhere. Judges, people who were making serious decisions for people who did not look like them were a part of a system that felt like white was right. Now, I would be crazy. I know, you know, I guess the KKK, I don't even want to know if the KKK is still in power now and ain't none of my business. I don't care. However, it makes you wonder if some of those ideologies were not passed down in families and not necessarily stopped where they needed to be stopped, if you catch my drift. And if we may have some of that running around where we are right now, it is frightening. It is scary. It is really, really scary. And I know everyone's like, oh, it's not a race. Everything is not a race issue. But in some ways it is. In some ways it is. And we have to give credence to that. And I believe chapter four did a very, the, the name of the chapter again is valuing ourselves rightly, did a very good job at showing why black is not valued the way it should be. Now that's, now it's one thing for black not to be valued the way it should be on the outside, but for black meaning on any, from any other racial group. But I think the, the bigger issue here is that black is also not valued rightly on the inside, you have you know black little girls who grew up feeling like they were ugly because they were dark skinned and had kinky hair and thick lips and full hips and you know thicker bodies. We were made to feel bad about that. Now everyone's paying to look like us, and I'm just putting it out there. Most the predominant culture is getting BBLs and tanning their skin, and da 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 da. da. They want to look darker. <laughs> Why? You know what I mean? So clearly, it's not a skin issue. It goes deeper than that. Um, so I said they did a really, really good job at doing that. If these are things that we need to keep in mind, simple as that, these are things that we need to keep in mind. These are things that we need to pay attention to um, as we are moving up in the world, in culture, um, being rightly treated because of what we can offer or yeah, I'm not saying that just because someone is black that they can't do something wrong. I'm not saying that there are not black criminals out there doing the wrong things. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying to look at someone as a criminal off the back because they are black is wrong. And to look at someone who is not black as not being a criminal or hurtful because they're not black is just as wrong too, you know? All right, on to the next chapter. Oh, I want to read the end of chapter four so you can get... So you can get um, 
the context completely, but my last highlighted part of this chapter, the issue of loving blackness goes beyond the question of race. Focus on racist assaults of black self-esteem has often caused us to ignore the impact of class. That is so true. Class in more ways than one is a big factor in how we are viewed <laughs> in um, this country particularly. You can be a rich black person and still rich by IRS standards, rich by what's in your bank account and still be treated like a second class citizen, okay? Um, the Kanye song said it best. If you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Last paragraph of chapter four. From experience, black people know that no matter what our economic circumstance, we can create an environment that is permeated by a love ethic. Those of us who come from non-privileged backgrounds know this by heart because we felt the love in those places where material plenty was lacking. Love is especially available to us because it is a non-market value. We can create love wherever we are. Valuing ourselves rightly means we understand love to be the only foundation of being that will sustain us in both times of lack and in times of plenty. She talks about this because the overall thought was because black people were not as rich or not treated of a class of, of, of status that they couldn't love. They equated having a lot of money with being in a loving environment, which we now know that is not true. There are many people who grew up very affluent, very rich in rich places where there was not a love in those in those in those um rooms in those houses. And then you have people who grew up in shanty towns and shanty shacks where that's all they had was love, you know. So it, she's also talking about breaking the stereotypes of that too. You can be rich and have love. You can be um poor and have love. You can be rich and not have love and you can be poor and not have love. Um, they are not exclusive of each other. Chapter five. All right. Moving beyond shame. I'm going to read the first chapter. When the philosopher Cornel West and I completed our book, Breaking Bad, Insurgent Black Intellectual Life, we gave many lectures together. And these talks, we often emphasize the importance of a love ethic. We talked about the importance of self-love again and again during question and answer periods. Individuals in the audience would rise and ask us to say more about how we can become more self-loving. The practice of self-love is difficult for everyone in a society that is more concerned with profit than well-being. But it is even more difficult for Black folks as we must consistently, constantly resist the negative perceptions of Blackness we are encouraged to embrace by the dominant culture. Within the context of white supremacy, we discussed this in chapter four, black people are often rewarded by racist white folks when we internalize racist thinking as a way of assimilating into the dominant culture. For example, a racially biased white employer who conveys stereotypical thinking about black folks to a prospective black employee will most likely select the person for the job who either agrees with his sentiments or does not challenge them. 
throughout our history in this nation, every anti-racist struggle has stressed that decolonization is the only way black people can either unlearn or resist learning the racist bias taught everyone in this society beginning at birth. When a black child is newly born and those who stand around immediately evaluate the infant's value by his skin color, white supremacy, white supremacist thinking is taking place. The negative impact of color case system has already been discussed as a major impediment to healthy self-esteem among black people. Collectively decolonizing our minds means that every black person will learn to stop judging others on the basis of skin color. Mm, mm, mm. It is so ingrained, white supremacist thinking per bell hooks that it happens even at birth. It happens before we are even able to articulate what we are thinking for ourselves. That is first highlighted area. Decolonization is, an, is the necessary groundwork for the development of self-love. It offers us the tools to, re, to resist white supremacist thinking. The heart of decolonization is a recognition of equality among humans coupled with the understanding that racial categories which negatively stigmatize blackness were created as a political tool. I gotta say that again. Understanding that racial categories which negatively stigmatize blackness were created as a political tool of imperialist white domination. Most black people first confront white supremacy in the context of blackness, usually through discussion and or responses to our appearance. Woo! This is this is gospel. This is so true. No further explanation is needed. Most white southerners expected black folks to behave in a manner indicating acceptance of subordination. In the presence of whites, we were expected to not speak until we were spoken to, to never question anything a white person said, to, a, to always allow them preferential treatment and to obey them. The list could go on and on. Um, those are my words, and on. Mm, 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 mm. This is tough. As I said, confronting these things is such a, you, as a black woman, I have no choice but to think about all of this. You know what I mean? Next highlighted part, when there was no racial integration, when there was no racial integration, black people were more vigilant about safeguarding the integrity of our lives in the midst of ongoing racist assault separate spaces also meant that racist biases in educational systems could be countered by wise black teachers those who attended all black schools in the years before the militant black power struggle institutions named for important black leaders Crispus Attucks, Booker T. Washington, George Washington Carver, etc., were educated in a world where we were valued. While we studied the same lessons that were studied in white schools, our teachers added lessons in black history and culture. Since everyone in the school system was black, we had perfect role models. No one doubted our ability to learn to excel academically. Ugh. 
This needs to be discussed. I would like to talk some more. I wish I could talk to people from this time, actually, but I would like to talk to more, even people of my age group in time to see how they feel about this, considering what we went through, considering what we went through growing up, how much different it would have been for us to go to school in an environment where everyone looked like us in a positive role. Now, most of us went to schools where there were all black kids, don't get me wrong, um, but they were in urban areas, barely had good books, barely had good windows, da 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 And we all know that is because of systemic racism as well. However, had we never been integrated and we were in charge of our own education, not what, you know, not what the predominant culture was saying we should teach or should be taught, how much different our experience would be. And I'm not talking, I mean, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, God, all of the civil rights leaders, God bless you guys, like equal, um, equal rights all around them, all for it. But it can cause uh, some conversation over how different it might have been. Next highlighted area, when my well-meaning supportive white female drama teacher told me no black man would ever love me because I was too smart, she did not see herself as perpetuating a racist stereotype of black, about black males. Oof. Once we left our all black schools, gifted black male students disappeared. They had always been visible in our all black schools. At home, our parents talked about this unfair treatment of black males. Racist white folks simply did not want gifted white girls sitting next to black boys. No one attended the psychological needs of the boys who had once been recognized as gifted, but were suddenly forced to go backwards. One of the smartest black boys in my peer group had a breakdown shortly after graduation. Mm, 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 mm. I wonder where he is now. Wow, wow, wow. See y'all, it goes deep. <laughs> it goes, y'all, it goes, it goes really deep. And like I said, I don't think it has, I don't think it has anything to do with not being grateful for who fought for us to be where we are. But I think we got caught up in the victory of the physical attainment, the tangible attainment and not realizing, oh, I mean, I cannot even believe I'm saying this because the psychological impact of things that have happened to black people that is still being perpetuated today is in the, if we had to talk about individual things, it's in the millions, like, or trillions, like it's insane. Um, what our people have had to generationally survive to be here right now, um, to even, for me to even be a college graduate. I could have been a college graduate more times over if I wanted to um to come from a, to be able to own a home as a black woman and a black with a black man you know in a black home <laughs> in a predominantly white neighborhood oh i understand the fight i understand the fight but when you hear things like the black wall street um or bronze avenue in chicago i think that was the black wall street i think that was the aka for um 
the black wall street or when you hear about the amount of black men that were in congress after slavery ended and the amount of businesses that were built and land that was bought it's like but when the predominant culture felt like those who were not worthy of those things because i mean black wall street was for black people it wasn't like we were infringing at the time on the predominantly white culture that was happening at the time they just felt as if we shouldn't succeed at all because we weren't worthy of it you're black you're no good you should be ashamed of yourself how dare you try to uplift and you know be equal to me because if you're equal to me what does that say about me if i think that you know you're trash i'm not trash so there's no way you could be equal to me it goes deep it goes it goes pretty it goes pretty deep it goes pretty deep and it needs to be discussed i, I want to have a conversation i want to have i mean i know there's conversations happening out there but they're not happening with me okay i want to be the one to talk about it <laughs> with you um mm. all right i'm gonna read the last chapter of this because i think i spent too much time on the i spent too much time on chapter four it really chapter four really 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 hit home for me Oh, I have another highlighted area. Sadly, some black people have been made to feel ashamed of experiencing emotional pain in response to racial assault by a culture that increasingly suggests anyone who names their suffering is trying to use victim status to get over. Oh, I go back to, oh, um, why do you have to say black girl magic? Why do you have to say, you know, black love? Da, 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 da. I, I go back to that. This is definitely a tactic deployed by individuals who hope to sustain a regime of white supremacist domination. When black people and other non-white groups are repeatedly, are told repeatedly that the problems they are experiencing are their own fault, this delegitimization, wow, not only censors and silences, it promotes insanity. Sane people with healthy self-esteem respond to oppression and exploitation by both acknowledging their pain and resisting. Although needed now, in the future, it will be all the more necessary for Black people and our allies in the struggle to create a context for mental care that validates all the ways racist assault is traumatic while simultaneously creating programs for recovery. This is true, and I know this is happening now. I don't know if this, what I'm getting ready to say, is true. I heard that racism, racism is diagnosed as a mental illness. <laughs> I don't know how true that is. I would have to research that. If you guys know, you could drop it in the comments and let me know. But this is true. Um, oh, so I highlighted the last chapter. There should be books that do nothing but accentuate the positive sharing theories and strategies of decolonization that enable self-love. Initially, when I began to seriously explore written material about the primacy of the love ethic in African-American life, I was astonished that there was so little information. We need more. It's as simple as that. Without an organized, mass-based, progressive, anti-racist political movement, which we also need, it is all the more crucial that our homes become sites of resistance where we can create the oppositional spaces where we can be self-loving. These are spaces where we have power. We can make home place the site where love that is the foundation of all healthy self-esteem exists. End of chapter five moving beyond shame y'all 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 
she did it. She did it with that. Like she absolutely positively did it with that. And wow, it really hits home. It does hit home. And even as a mother as of, of black children of a, of a black, I'm a, I'm a wife to a black man as well. Um, even if I wasn't, I still as a black woman, I could have been married to a Hispanic man, Asian man, or a white man. I would still promote that um, being black is a beautiful thing. I would encourage my children to embrace their mixed race, um, but I would also encourage them probably even more to embrace their black side because they will always be criticized for that. The one drop rule is real. <laughs> they would always be criticized for being black. They would always be criticized for not being white, even if it's not overt and it's systemic, it would be happening. So I am going to continue to create a space of love in my home. Um, I tell my daughter all the time that she is beautiful. You know, like I said, I get concerned about that. Like right now I'm keeping my daughter in her dance way back where we live because there are more black girls in, in that. And I need her to be around that. I need her to see other black girls with kinky hair like hers and know your hair doesn't have to be bone straight in order for you to look beautiful. No, you do not have to be, um, you know, a fair skinned individual to be looked upon as beautiful. She's darker and she is gorgeous to me. And I reinforce that to her every chance I get. No, that does not mean that the little white girls are not pretty or the Hispanic girls are not pretty. But I want you to know that you are pretty for you. I don't want my daughter to just think she's pretty because mommy says she's pretty. I want her to know that she can embrace her own um, beauty as well, being a black child, being a black girl, and then growing into a black woman. I do not want to breed self-esteem based off of how she was born. That's not her fault. Um, so those are my thoughts on that. If you guys have made it to the end, oh my gosh. If you guys have made it to the end of this podcast, thank you so much for listening. I would love to hear what you think. I would love to know what your thoughts are. I need to go deal with my barking dog. Okay. I don't know what his problem is. And it's hard for me to record during the day and I can't record late at night because everyone is asleep. So y'all just see with me, ignore the dark, um, the barking dog in the background because my content is late. All right. Um, share, share, share. Uh, if there's another book you want me to review, I'm still reviewing this book, but if there are books you want me to review, please do not hesitate to send me any where I can review them. Um, if you have any questions, any concerns, drop a comment, share this with everyone that you know, and be sure to tune in and stay with me here over at Conversations with Akila. Talk to you later. You just finished listening to Conversations with Akila, where I have a lot to say. Okay. Please be sure to tune in every Friday where you can have a conversation with yours truly. We'll be talking about any and everything. Nothing is off the table. Please remember to share this and like it and comment everywhere podcasts are heard. We are on Apple, we are on Spotify, you name it. Your like, your comment, your share will help this podcast grow, grow, grow. I appreciate you. Thank you.